0: Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel.
1: Our next speaker is Sami Cetovic. If you pronounced his name accurately, he's a Ph.D. candidate and an adjunct professor at Temple University in the Department of Religion. But he's also a practicing attorney in the state of New Jersey. So he warned me. He's a lawyer, he likes to talk, and I should make sure he's on time with his speech today. Now he's also a member of New Jersey Muslim Attorneys Association. But besides practicing law and his academic activity, Sami is involved with various American Muslim community organizations and he's worked extensively to promote tolerance and diversity appreciation. Utilizing, as he says, the spirit of mercy as embodied by the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu <laughs> Alaihi Don't want you to fall asleep on our good esteemed speakers. We have still a little more to go. Now He also works extensively with ISNA's Diversity Forum. And he also delivers khutbahs and talks. And he brings to light issues such as peace and tolerance through addressing topics such as domestic tranquility. He talks about the search of knowledge and promoting community connections and service. Now he served as uh, or on the board of ISNA Executive Council. And he's also worked with the Executive Director of New Brunswick Islamic Center. That's where he's currently serving. I want to tell you something special about this community. This is an Islamic center where they've written in their bylaws that it is a priority to create an environment that is welcoming and inclusive to all Muslims, both women and men, people of all ages, ethnicities and backgrounds. It's in their bylaw. it's their vision. And this inclusivity and awareness are the precursors, really, to a peaceful and tolerant society. So please join me in welcoming Sami Chatovich.
0: It's truly an honor to be here this afternoon amongst uh, such a distinguished panel, our uh, beloved Shaykh Sahnani, and to be with all of you here, brothers and sisters, to talk about and to discuss the Prophet in the context of coming or bringing people from darkness into light, I don't want you to feel concerned. Although I am an attorney, uh, due to the fact that yes, I will try to keep to my time and I'm a little bit under the weather, I think that should restrict what I have to say. But in these few moments, I just wanted to share with you some reflections on this topic, and in particular, the notion what we know in the Islamic discourse as jahiliyyah, that age of ignorance. Classically, this is understood as a time period in which it, with that preceded the coming of Muhammad ibn Abdullah وسلم, in 7th century Arabia. And this is what we collectively know as the age of ignorance or the time of ignorance. And at its core was idolatry or the veiling of people from tawhid from the oneness and recognition of the oneness of Allah. And as a result of the, that veiling of people from the reality of Tawheed, there was not possible to emerge a proper worldview based upon Tawheed, the oneness of Allah. So that's sort of the theological aspect which has a societal application or a societal manifestation That that age of idolatry. And we oftentimes look at this age as not only as a period of idolatry, but also certain societal and cultural norms that were in practice that the Prophet came to reform. The period of Jahiliyyah. The Quran speaks about this, for example, the burying of daughters as one of the characteristics of this period. But I just wanted to share with you a few words of Jafar ibn Abi Talib, the cousin of the Prophet. When he came to the king, the Christian king and Najashi in Abyssinia, he describes this period of Jahaniyyah in certain terms and in relation to the theological implication as well. But they are tied together. That with Tawhid comes a Tawheedic worldview. So when he described to it uh, King Najashi, he says, We were an uncivilized people. God sent us an apostle who commanded us to speak the truth to be faithful to our engagements, mindful of the ties of kingship and kindly hospitality, and to refrain from crimes and bloodshed. He forbid us to commit abominations and to speak lies and to devour the property of orphans, to vilify a chaste woman. He commanded us to worship God alone, to not associate anything with him. And he gave us orders about prayer, alms, and fasting. So we believed in him. And what he brought to us from God. And we follow what he asked us to do, and we avoid what he forbade us to do. What's very interesting in this description that we find Jafar ibn Abu Talib telling the king that with one sentence he mentions the theological aspect, the worship of one God. But the rest of the description is focusing upon certain practical societal norms that characterized that period of jahiliyyah that the Prophet sallam came to reform his community from. Or came to reform his community. Now, having said that, we should also realize that in this jahili concept or in this age of ignorance that, that the society was based upon, does that mean by necessity that everything in that society, in that culture, was something wrong? Was something bad? And I would posit today no. No. The Prophet ﷺ spoke about that the best of you in Jahiliyyah would be the best in Islam. Meaning what? That those who had the qualities of nobleness, of generosity, of kindness, who had some sort of a stature and standing in pre Islamic Jahiliyyah, that if they became Muslim, all of those qualities would what? Be enhanced further. But it was possible in that period to have those qualities. And we know that in that Arab society at that time, that there was those qualities that were still valued of generosity, of being kind uh, to the guest, etc. And that those who accepted Islam, that was only enhanced by the Messenger What else? We find that the Prophet even referred to a particular pact, what we know as the Hidf al the pact of the virtuous. This was before the manifestation of the Prophet Muhammad as a messenger of God, before the, the cave Hira. When the people of Quraysh and the tribes of the Prophet of, 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 of Mecca at that time came together to protect those individuals in society uh, who had no protection. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi was part of this pact that collectively they were going to protect those people who had no protection in this tribal system they were living in. Years later, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi spoke about that pact which was created when? In a jahli society, amongst what? Idolaters, mushrikin, people who were of that jahli society that the Prophet sallallahu wa was a part of the pact. And he said, what? If I was called to such a pact today, meaning after his manifestation to the world as a Prophet, I would go to that pact. Because it was a pact based upon justice. So we find that there were items and elements within this Janati society that uh, were not, were, you know, things that could be valued. In other words, it was not a zero-sum game. There are some philosophies out there that unfortunately many Muslims have, upti- have have taken in terms of trying to understand this jahili society that it was an all or nothing game. That there was jahili society and there was Islam and one was completely diametrically opposed to the other and thus you must get rid of the other. This could have been notion that unfortunately is plaguing some of our Muslim countries and movements you see in the world today no there were some good there were some bad the role of the Prophet was to identify and enhance that which was good and to remove that which was bad from the society now if we go to now as a Muslim is it possible to actually have a jihadi mindset to have the mindset of that period Or is the acceptance of of Tawheed make you by definition clear of that? This is something we have to ask ourselves. And if we turn back to the seerah of Rasul ﷺ, we find a very interesting incident involving the beloved companion Abu Dhar al-Ghafari. Abu Dar once, and we know Abu Dhar as one who was very quick, to say whatever was on his mind in the moment that he was in. One time he was with Bilal, radiallahu anhu, the Muazzin, and they were arguing about something and at some point Abu Dar said, Ya Bilal, you son of a black woman. As an insult. Bilal took this to the messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Prophet called Abu Dhar to him. And he said, did you say this? And Abu Dar said, yes. And he said, ya Abu Dar, you have within you something of jahiliyyah still. Very interesting. The Prophet didn't scold Abu Dar that this isn't how we talk to our brothers, that we should speak kind words to each other, etc., that we shouldn't let anger overcome us. But what? He used the term jahiliyyah. That not only was Abu Dar, speaking inappropriately or to his brother, but more importantly Abu Dar had within him something of those norms, something of those societal and cultural behaviors which was unacceptable in the realm of Islam now. That once you accept the message of Tawhid, certain things, certain cultural practices can no longer be a part of your psyche and your behavior. He was speaking beyond the incident of Abu Dhar and, his, and what he said, but more importantly about the societal norm, that it was okay and it was encouraged in that jahili society to speak of Bilal in that way, to speak about racial divisions, to insult people based upon who their, you know, their social status in society, that this was permissible in that time. And what we find with the Prophet in trying to reform them using this term jahiliya is that it is possible for a Muslim who accepts tawhid to have with them certain jihadi mentalities that are informed by oftentimes their cultural or societal practices. But the amazing thing, so that's not necessarily the problem. The, pro- the problem in terms of having some of these notions. Uh, within our cultures or societies because that's the nature of the world. People grow up in the culture and the society. The problem is when these things are identified and recognized, what does the believer or what does the individual do about those practices and norms? If we look to Abu Dhar, as the story continues. What did he do? He was shocked to hear this. But he came to this realization instantaneously, puts his head on the floor and says, yeah, Bilal, please. Step on my head. To be humiliated before the one he humiliated just a short time ago. He was receptive to the prophetic call. What did Bilal do? As another one who was receptive to the prophetic call. Did he do that? Did he seek that vengeance? No. He picked up Abu Dar from the ground to not take that vengeance. This is the training or the the... the, the, the the, uh, the prophetic role of being the counselor and the advisor, and individuals who are willing to accept them—we have, unfortunately, in our cultures and our traditions, and we see this manifest throughout the world, many I would characterize as jahili practices that we continue to uphold for some reason, in spite of the fact that we are when we are shown that this is actually contrary to the prophetic message. Contrary to what the Prophet sallallahu wa sallam, oftentimes we try to uh, continue with these. We need to be receptive to the prophetic call. We need to be receptive. When the Prophet sallallahu wa sallam brought people from darkness into light, it was bringing those things in our society, those things in our cultures, which were admirable, which were great, and enhancing those. And those things which were not, it means pushing them aside. Redirecting people. Yes, there is a theological component to jahiliyyah. But there is also a societal component. And there is a theological component to tawhid. But there is also a manifestation of that in society that we must uphold. So what do we do? We must put as our criterion the Prophet he was the walking Qur'an. He was the walking Qur'an. He was the manifestation in the human form of the teachings of, the totality of teachings of Islam. He was the perfected human being. That he should be the criterion by which we remove from ourselves certain things that are jahili and certain things, and, 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 and beautify ourselves with those qualities that he promoted. This is what we have to do. We have to make the Prophet sallallahu central in our lives. And I don't mean only his sayings, because this is the problem oftentimes that we face. We remove the context of the Prophet sallallahu wa sallam as an individual and a person from his own sayings, from his own teachings. And we don't see those sayings and practices in the context of how he dealt with human beings. We have to keep him in our understanding. And this is why we must pr- uh, promote and we must continue to promote understanding of the seerah. Because the seerah is the living example of the Prophet ﷺ dealing with real problems. Not in some theoretical construct. Not in some philosophical worldview. But in a real way, dealing with those companions that he was uh, teaching and attempting to reform. We must keep the Prophet ﷺ as a living example and by prioritizing his seerah and his wife, and I'll close with this I, said, I think said beautifully by Alama Iqbal the 20th century philosopher and poet in the Muslims heart is the home of Muhammad all our glory is from the name of Muhammad we may be from Arabia, Persia or China but we are all like a rose with many petals but with one perfume he is the soul of society he is one we are all under the spell of the cupbearer of medina we must keep muhammad sallallahu alive in our hearts and the criterion by which we understand what is darkness and what is light assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh
1: To move from darkness into light, and to understand the nature of the Prophet, of one of moderation, and one of balance, and one of remembering him as an entity in the context of the message he gave to us. Sallallahu wa sallam. Becoming aware means becoming awake. And what you reminded us of in your speech is learning how to make distinctions and how to know that we don't make blanket statements in Islam, that we look at things carefully. So Jahiliyyah era was not completely awash with sin and error, but there were elements of goodness. moments of righteousness. There were good things that were happening. And yet we also have to remember that we can't look at ourselves today as Muslims exclusively as awash in righteousness either. So learning that distinguishing characteristic of the mind is important. Thank you for reminding us of that.